Uh, we're on week two of a series, When You Pray, The Art of Persistent Communion. Uh, last week, we took a break as, from our walk through the book of John to take a look at when you pray, this is what it looks like. So we jumped over to Luke chapter 11 and looked at the Lord's Prayer as a model, a pattern for our prayer. But this week, we're going to be back in John, specifically chapter 17. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. And uh, last week, if you were with us, we looked at these four words that gave us a model of prayer around the word pray, pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And if you were with us, I pray and hope that as you try to apply that to your life and live out a life of prayer, that it left you feeling equipped and invited to a life of prayer. Um, But today, we're back in John 17, and this is the most powerful prayer ever recorded in Scripture, all right? And uh, while the heading on Luke chapter 11 might be the Lord's Prayer, John 17 truly is what Jesus prayed, all right? And so this week, we're looking at this is what it sounds like when you pray, all right? Here are the words of Jesus moments before he is going to be betrayed, arrested, tortured, and ultimately crucified. And so we kind of get to sneak in on the conversation with his father and uh, his disciples are in the room hearing this powerful, powerful prayer. He's fully aware of of what's about to happen. And so this is kind of his final conversation before he enters into his ultimate death for us. Growing up and still to this day, uh, basketball is my favorite sport. I like to watch sports in general, but basketball was the sport that I played. And as a um, not very tall, not very athletic white guy, um, basketball had some room for me in that sport, right? If I learned how to shoot, I could actually play the game. And so throughout junior high, high school, and a little bit into college, basketball was my thing. And, and I loved watching basketball too. I just thought it was an, an incredible game to be able to witness. And so from high school all the way to the NBA, I just love watching basketball. And so naturally, I have some heroes of the team. One of these, I remember like sitting cross-legged and watching a guy in a red jersey with the number 23 just make people look silly and then slam the ball through the hoop with his tongue hanging out of his mouth, right? And uh, man, just as a young boy sitting in front of the TV, just how iconic that was to me. And then I remember being in junior high and this uh, guy came straight from high school who wore the same number and resembled him in a lot of the ways that he played and just being enthralled with this. Right? And everybody kind of knows these two guys, and whether you like them, hate them, or indifferent, they are uh, just known for their skill and passion in the game. But I, I liked other guys too. There was guys like Allen Iverson and Dwayne Wade, and then especially Kobe Bryant. And I remember just being fascinated by this player who, again, had just skipped college, gone straight um, to the NBA when I was seven years old, and just started making waves throughout the sport for his passion and dedication to the sport of basketball. And if for some reason you haven't heard, the untimely death of Kobe Bryant in our culture has just kind of brought me back to these moments as a young boy um, playing pickup basketball, doing a very unathletic move and fadeaway jump shot, screaming, Kobe, right, as I'm shooting, and I'm sure I bricked the shot and it was awful, but he was just such an impact on my life. 
And what's crazy to me is that our culture is now just fascinated with how this guy got to be who he is, that he achieved this kind of mamba mentality. How did it come about? Who was he? What was his life like? What did he do? What did he eat for breakfast? Who did he talk to uh, throughout his whole life? And we're just fascinated to know why. Because of his passion and his dedication to the game, the way he changed the sport of basketball. And as I think about that, I'm I'm relating it to a life of prayer. Because there's this uh, clip of Michael Jordan at, at, at Kobe's funeral service, and he's telling the story of how Kobe would call and text him all the time about post-up moves or footwork or different basketball strategy. And at first, Michael was annoyed by it. And then he started to see Kobe as his younger brother and realized that this guy had an unparalleled passion to try to figure out, how can I be the best basketball player in the world? And as I look at my life, I want to be known as a man of prayer. Because there's a lot of things that you can be known for, even in the kingdom of God, even in the way we pursue a Christian life. There's a lot of good things that you could be known for. But when you are known as a person of prayer, it shows that there is a personal and intimate relationship with God. You don't get to be known as a man of prayer without having just an amazing relationship with the Lord. We look at Moses in the Old Testament and how he would speak to God face to face like a friend speaks to a friend. And how different that was than what the Israelites knew to be true of God. That God was um, a distant holy God that they had to do a lot of things to even get in the same vicinity of God. And there was just a a fear and a trembling and, and definitely a love and a respect for God. But it was just different. It wasn't this intimate relationship. And then Jesus comes, and he walks the earth with just kind of this prayerful attitude, believing that God is with him in every single moment and teaching his disciples to pray. And then ultimately here in John 17, we see just kind of the capstone of this amazing relationship that he had with his father. And he's not saying this is only for me. What he's saying is through the work of the cross, you can have this type of relationship with God. You can have a life of prayer. And so I kind of want to be like Kobe today, and I want to say, man, we need to look at the greatest player in the art of prayer and say, how can I be like that? And so John 17 is kind of the goat of prayers, the greatest of all time, and we're going to take a look at it here together. So read John 17. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's all one prayer, and these words are going to inspire us and call us to the art of persistent communion. Read with me starting in verse 1 of John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, 
and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Wow, there's so much here in these 26 verses. Truly, we could break this thing out and do a whole series just on this chapter alone. But rather, I want to take a look from about 10,000 feet and pull some words out that we can apply to our lives. Last week, we had four words around the word pray. This week, we're going to take four words to hear what it sounds like when we pray. The first word is glorify. Glorify, look at verse 4 where Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus' ministry on earth is coming to a close. And the hour has come, as he's been saying, that the hour was drawing nearer and nearer. And now the hour has come. And we see here from Jesus' prayer that the whole point of Jesus' ministry was to glorify God. Jesus was not on earth to try to build the name or the ministry of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but rather to give God glory. Every message he preached, every person he healed, every miracle he performed was to glorify God. 
And so for us, God's glory is the ultimate mission for every person who has given their life to Christ. In your prayers, your deepest concern should be, God, how can I glorify you today? At the end of my life, I want to be able to say with my last breath, Father, I glorified you on earth. I accomplished the work that you gave me to do. See, sometimes we see prayer as kind of the spiritual, like, secret sauce that we pour over the work that we really think we need to do. That somehow it will, prayer just kind of boosts what we're really supposed to be doing on earth. We might say a quick prayer before we walk into work, and then we'll spend the rest of the day at our desk not even thinking about the Lord or any opportunities we have to glorify Him. Even there's a, a tendency maybe to gather on a Sunday to serve, and we'll gather in the lobby and say a quick prayer together, and that's just kind of to reframe our minds that would allow you to go and do what you know to do, what you think is the right thing to do, but really we're not in a mindset of every moment is this an opportunity to glorify God. Even for me, in, the, in this message this week, it, was so, it might be so easy for me to think about studying and um, crafting an outline and coming up with illustrations when in reality I, I need to spend more time just asking the Lord, God, what do you want to say through me? How can I glorify you through my words? What if we saw prayer as the work that God has for us? And I'm not saying you quit your job and you sit in your house with your hands folded and your eyes closed all day and that's somehow you accomplishing God's work. But rather, what if I see every waking moment as an opportunity to ask the Lord, God, what do you have for me right now? What do you want me to do? Jesus' whole life in ministry, even in this prayer, this like specifically where he's praying out loud, it's so obvious that his life is a life of prayer. The same way the artist is not only an artist when they're holding the brush. A person of prayer is not only a person of prayer when they stop and pray. Every opportunity, every moment is a chance to glorify God. It's the sense and the acknowledgement that all of this is the Lord's anyway. That my home, my family, my relationships, my job, my money, my possessions, it is all God. So how can I pursue any moment in my life without first asking, God, how can I glorify you through what you've given me to do? We need to glorify God and ask in prayer for the opportunity. The next word is sanctify. Sanctify. Back to the text, verse 17. He says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. To sanctify is to set apart or declare as holy, to consecrate. We use this word a lot when it comes to living as a follower of Jesus. We say that there is a one-time event of salvation in your life where you accept Jesus Christ and then you live a life of sanctification where we are trying to become more and more holy like God is holy. Another definition is free from sin or pure. 
And we know that we can never truly be free from sin on this side of heaven. We battle daily the flesh and the sinful desires that we were born into. And so sanctifying in truth allows us to fight with power. We see that Jesus asked for his followers to be sanctified in the truth and that God's word is truth. We live in a time where truth is subjective. What's true for me may not be true for you. Years of people abusing their power and oppressing people have led to movements of speaking your truth or living your truth. Being okay with exactly who you are, not feeling any need to apologize for what you see the world as or the perspective that you have and just to live that out and whatever's true for you is truth. The idea that there is an absolute truth is offensive because if I don't agree with that truth, then it's not true for me. But when you choose to follow Jesus you realize that truth is not found in yourself or in the circumstances that are around you, but rather truth is rooted in a loving and gracious, holy, set-apart, completely sanctified God. Warren Wiersbe describes three editions God has given us of his truth, his word, his son, and his spirit. We have the ability to find truth in learning from God's word. That's why it's so important for us to put a Bible in your hands on a Sunday. Because we know that it's not about just a topic that we've picked and I'm up here to give a TED talk about my truth for you. Rather, I want you to see the words on the page, the inspired from the Holy Spirit words of God to apply it to your own life. We're not making this up. It is truth. We find truth in Loving Jesus Christ. The more we give our lives to and follow Jesus, loving him completely, we live a sanctified life. The whole reason we're going through the book of John is because of Jesus' call of you, follow me. That as we model our life after Jesus and completely surrender ourselves to him, we will change. We will be sanctified. And we are living with the Holy Spirit. The spirit that illuminates God's word for us, that convicts us when we're not loving Jesus like we should. It's the power behind the ability to be sanctified. So we are learning from God's word, we are loving Jesus Christ, and we are living in the Holy Spirit. And it sanctifies us in the truth. Carpenters use the word true when everything is aligned. When every thing is square on the level and plumb axis, it is true. When your life is aligned underneath God's word and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, you are living a true life. This is when you can find truth in Jesus saying, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. That's truth only when you are true in your life when you were aligned with his will. So we pray for God to sanctify us, consecrate us, set us apart in truth. The third word is testify. Testify. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. 
Testify is maybe a word you think of when it comes to a courtroom, right? You would call a witness to the stand to testify either for or against a person to prove whether or not it is true. I grew up in church, and I remember as a young kid being in a church where we would have Sunday night services, and instead of a pastor getting up and preaching, he would walk around the room with a microphone and ask, does anybody want to give a testimony? And people would stand and take the mic, and what they would do is tell how God was working in their life. They would give an account. They would testify. At our church, over the years, we've done God at Work videos, which is just a way for us to put someone in front of you who is giving testimony to how God is working in their lives. We should know that one of the greatest ways we can glorify God is by testifying to his work in us. But I think we like to kind of brush the word testify off as a little crazy, right? That's for the guys on the street corner with the bullhorn, like, who are testifying to repent or go to hell. I don't want to do that. I don't want people to think I'm crazy. But the same way I stood up here at the beginning of this message and told you about how passionate I was about the game of basketball. That there were certain players that I knew I could tell you about them and what they did and who they were and how they impacted me. Do you know what I was doing? I was testifying. Here's what I'm trying to say, followers of Jesus Christ. If you find it difficult to interject the impact God has had on your life in normal conversations, has he really impacted you? It's easy for me to start up a random conversation with anyone about something I'm super passionate about. I found myself sitting next to a guy on a plane this past week who loved Notre Dame. And it was really easy for me to quickly go, yeah, I grew up around there. I love Notre Dame, you know. And if the opportunity presented itself, I could have talked for 20 minutes with this guy about Notre Dame football or basketball because it's impacted my life. I'm passionate about it. It's easy for me to talk about. The same is true with food. I had a rousing discussion with a friend a couple weeks ago about which Girl Scout cookies are the best. And like, I mean, believe what you want, I have one of those like Alexa things or whatever, no joke, we're having this conversation the next day, Girl Scout at my door selling me cookies. And I was like, I guess, <laughs> we'll buy them. The answer is Thin Mints, by the way, it's the best one. You can fight me later, fight me later if you want, now I'm going to talk about it. Right, but I'm, I, I mean, we had a rousing debate around Girl Scout cookies. It's easy for me to testify to the impact Girl Scout cookies have had on my life and my bathroom scale. It's easy. But guys, I'm so convicted on how difficult it is for me to talk about the work of God in my life with someone that I don't really know goes to church or believes the same way I do. Like, it's so hard. Why? One, I think I believe this lie that the world is so polarized right now that the minute I mention Jesus, people are going to shut down and I'm going to be like classified as that weirdo guy who talks about Jesus all the time, and I'm going to lose some sort of status in society or um, in, the, in the holy way I may be thinking about it. Oh, I won't have the opportunity. They're just not ready yet to hear the gospel. I've got to wait. But if I really believe what I believe, if I truly believe that Jesus Christ loved me enough to come to earth, to die for me in my place, was powerful enough to be raised from the dead, and was worthy enough to ascend into heaven and is now sitting at the right hand of Jesus, I should tell somebody about it. 
I should testify to the work of God in my life because it's impacted me. And what else would I talk about? We try too hard. I think sometimes we think that we're in a courtroom, that we have to testify. Like, there's a lot on the line here. If I mess up this testimony in any way, then, like, uh, I don't know which way the jury's going to go. Dude, we're not in a courtroom here. What you are is you're the person who's been so impacted by, like, a product or a service that they asked you to come in and film, you know, the commercial. There's nothing on the line for you. You got all the benefits of what, what they're offering. You're sitting in the wonders and the glories of God's grace right now. And you're so passionate that you just want people to get it. Right? You've seen these commercials, not the ones in the, where it's like, you know, real stories portrayed by actors in the corner, but like the real like, hey man, my life changed because of this thing. You got to try it. I'm telling you, it's worth it. If you find yourself in this situation or you have this problem, try this thing. Guess what? Everybody has your problem. It's called sin, and they need to try the thing. It's called Jesus Christ. And so we can testify to that and believe wholly what we're saying without thinking that we're being weird. What we do is we try too hard. Have you heard the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Like, we're trying too hard, man. Talk about your life. No, dude, let me tell you, my life was pretty messed up. I tried everything. I tried sex, I tried drugs, I tried alcohol, I tried fame, I tried popularity, I tried relationships, I tried money, I tried things. And every time that bag was handed to me and I opened it up and I got to the bottom, guess what? It was empty. And eventually I found myself in such a bad spot that I started to lose the things that weren't even filling me. My life was spiraling out of control. I hated who I pretended to be and I hated who I was when I laid my pillow at night. And so what did I do? I said, God, if you're really real, if you believe this, a kid who grew up in church finally saying, God, if you're real, prove it to me. And what happened is there's people who came into my life who loved me where I was at. They didn't say, hey, you got to be at a certain status before you get this, man. They said, hey, we love you. We want you to know that there's a better life in Jesus Christ. You don't have to try to clean yourself up. You don't have to try to make it better on your own. You can give it all to Christ. And they took me to God's word where it says that Jesus Christ died for me, not when I had it all figured out, but when I was still a sinner. In the midst of my grossness and depravity, Jesus came and said, hey, stop. It's about me. It's not about you. And so I surrendered my life in a way that it was different than any other time when I was a kid and I just got on my knees and really didn't want to go to this scary place with fire and flames and pitchforks and would rather spend the time with mom and dad in heaven with rainbows and my little pony. It was different because what I wanted to know was, man, if there's a God who loves me that much, he's worthy for me to live my life based on it. And I gave my life to Christ, and I said, God, whatever you want to do with my life, do it. And so I've been following Jesus ever since, and let me tell you, it's better than anything I ever tried before. This bag was completely full. This bag was everything that I could want, and I had to, all I had to do was stop trying. And so maybe, maybe you find yourself in, in that moment today, and you're like, yeah, I need that. And I'd love to just walk you through in God's word the truth of, of who God is. That's testimony. It's not hard. It's easy for me to get riled up about it because it happened to me. And maybe if you haven't had that moment, if you can't talk about it with a passion or a vigor for the gospel, maybe you need to just have the moment where you give your life to Christ. I want to pray for God to allow me to have opportunity to testify. Our last word is unify. Verse 21. 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know you sent me, and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus begins the closing of his prayer by praying for us. He just prayed for all who believe through the words of his disciples. We are the legacy of Jesus' disciples. If you believe in Jesus Christ and accept the testimony of his disciples, this is Jesus' prayer for you. Be one. Be unified. And not in everything, but only the things that matter. Jesus Christ and the love of the Father. See, the disciples were not the most unified group of guys. There's various accounts of disputes and bickering, arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And I'm sure it just grieved Jesus to see these men at odds with each other on such stupid things. I'm sure there were instances in his human emotion where he just wanted to shake them and say, this doesn't matter. Don't you get it? The world is looking to you, my followers, to be an example of my relationship with God. And so I need you to be unified, but not around every little thing that you think matters. I need you to be unified around these things, that I am Jesus Christ, I am the Messiah, and that God loves you. If you let that be the foundation, you can have true unity. And i got to ask, I wonder how God feels about the state of his church today. It's a hard truth, but most Christians are not known for their unity. They are known for their judgment and self-righteousness rather than their unity with one another. Earlier in John 13, 35, Jesus said this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But instead, we parse ourselves down to factions, dividing ourselves under every little disagreement of methodology or practice, like the way we sing a song or the color of the carpet. Instead of praying for unity, we start to pray for conformity. We pray that the people that we disagree with would fall under a conviction that would make them be conformed to our idea of what is unity. And I have to believe that God is just disregarding these prayers because there's Jesus at his right hand praying for true unity for his believers. Rather, we should pray for unity, pray for the bride of Christ, the church, to be aligned and submissive to Christ, who is the head of the church. The truth is, without unity, you can't glorify God. Without unity, you won't be sanctified in truth. And without unity, our testimony is ruined to the world. If you say that following Jesus makes your life better, but I see you bickering and fighting with one another and judging them for every little wrong thing they do, both unbelievers and believers alike. And that's exactly what the world's doing. So please tell me how this is better. The 
prayer of unity is not only for unity in and of itself, it is so that every other part of Jesus' prayer can come true. Now, last week we had the acronym of PRAY. And acronyms can be a little cheesy. I get that. But they can also get stuck in your head just like a cheesy song can. So they can be helpful. So now that we've worked through the passage and you've seen the words in the order they occur, we're going to move a couple around and we're going to get the word guts. So when you pray, you need to pray with guts. You need to glorify, unify, testify, and sanctify. But when you pray with guts, you need to pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And it sounds like glorify, unify, testify, sanctify. These are the words that should be on our lips, coming from our mouths as we pray. So we're going to spend a few minutes in prayer this morning closing out our service and this series by praying where Jesus said my house shall be a house of prayer my father's house will remain a house of prayer and so we just want to consecrate we want to sanctify this place for a moment and say God we pray with guts to you you can pray out loud you can pray sitting standing you can move to the aisle Get on your knees, get on your face. You can come to this kind of front section and turn it into an altar. Maybe there's like one word that you're like, God, I need this this word to be true in my life. I need to glorify you. I need my life to be a life that resembles Jesus Christ. I, God, I need to pray for unity. I pray that you would help me be aligned with other believers around the things that matter, Jesus Christ and the love of God. I pray that you'd help me give testimony this week. I pray that this week specifically, God, you would give me an opportunity to testify to the people in my life. Or God, sanctify me with your truth. Help me understand your word. Help me know who Jesus Christ is as I read it and help me live in the power of the Holy Spirit. These are the words that we can pray, all right? So these next few minutes are set apart so that we can pray. Let's pray right now.